You're listening to Real Estate Real Fast. Each episode, we discuss all things real estate, whether that's strategies for investors, ways the average homeowner can maximize profits when selling their home, or understanding market trends and more. Real Estate Real Fast is brought to you by ListingSpark, automated software that takes you through the complete home selling process and sells your home faster, safer, and at a fraction of the cost. All right, guys, we are officially live on episode 12 of Real Estate Real Fast. I'm your host, Aaron Gistel. For those of you tuning in for the first time, a little bit about me. I'm the broker and one of the co-founders here at ListingSpark. ListingSpark is a technology-driven real estate brokerage platform. We help home sellers right now all over the state of Texas sell their homes quickly, easily, and saving a ton of money in the process. If you've ever listened into this podcast, you'll you'll get a sense that we're a little bit more geared towards the investor side of things. A, a lot of our core business is working with investors, flippers, home builders. And so we love bringing content that's going to be relevant to kind of our core demographic, but we also feel is going to be useful for the average person who's just interested in learning about real estate. So I am, uh, we are in, in sunny and 75 degree Austin, Texas right now. You can probably hear I'm battling through the cedar, which is just out of control right now. Kyle, you're you're in Austin as well. I'm really excited to introduce Kyle Christian. Kyle and I have known each other for a long time. Feels like about 10 years almost, somewhere I would say. around there. We've we've gotten to know each other through a lot of different phases of the real estate investment kind of life cycle. So you are a you've been in the private and hard money space. You're an investor, you've done flips and now you're you, you've got airbnbs you're handling hotels you're working in the lending space it feels like you're a uh you're the perfect guy to have on the podcast and i'm really excited today to kind of focus in a little bit more on the airbnb stuff i, I get asked that all the time if we're gonna have that as a topic and so you're the perfect guest to bring on so i'm gonna i'm gonna send it over to you tell us a little bit about yourself and your experience in the the wonderful world of real estate yeah, it's funny. You said I'm a little bit all over. This morning, I woke up and I said to my wife, jokingly, I said, I'm going to start a t-shirt company about <laughs> real estate t-shirts. And I got my first one. Uh, Eat, sleep, real estate. <laughs> love it. I have no okay, doubt that, successful. That, could be, that could be a good one, right? Yep. Yeah. So did eight years in the Marine Corps, jumped out of that and cut my teeth with some hard money lending and then rolled into doing some wholesales and worked for a company doing some flips and did a few flips of my own, got out of working for someone else and got into doing a couple of flips myself, doing some more wholesales, and then decided to partner up with some folks to build a single family rental portfolio, which I have about a dozen single family rental houses. Then from there went into turning some of them into Airbnbs, which there's obviously you can sweep a little bit more use out of them. They're well appointed, well located, and then of course furnishing part very well it's, it's got a, it's got to shine well in the photos and then you know along the way took all my real estate knowledge and parlayed into a bit of commercial so i've got a boutique hotel in west texas that's in development right now and then we've got another one in due diligence in the carolinas and some other commercial projects so yeah i'm sure that's there's awesome. more i could say about it but don't want to talk too much yeah. No, I I also think you're being a little bit modest because, you know, the Kyle that I know just goes big on all of his projects. So I know one of one of your flips that you did, I can't remember if it was a flip or if it was new construction. I mean, you guys had like a fashion show in the <laughs> house for marketing. I mean, it, it, beautiful, huge, 
you know, multi-million dollar or over the million dollar mark, beautiful yeah. project, huge party, fashion show. I mean, you just go big with stuff. I've seen a, a few glimpses of the of the hotel you've got working in, in San Angelo. That looks like an incredible project. So you've got a lot, you definitely be a modest. You got a lot of very exciting things going on. And so happy to have you. Appreciate you taking some time to uh to join us today. And so to kind of jump right into it, especially gearing towards kind of the short-term rental and the Airbnb side, let's talk a little bit about how do you find deals that are going to be ideal for, for a short-term rental, whether that's if you're the passive investor looking for a one-off, if you're if you're going bigger and looking to develop a, and build out a portfolio, what are you looking at to kind of find the right deal and make sure it, it fits into that buy box? As a basis, I'll look for on a single family house that has the potential to be a short term rental. At its core, I'll look at something where value can be added. So I'm looking for a fixer upper, something where I can create equity. And then if you find it out of that and you have captured equity and then have the, the cash from cash be really good. A bonus or a cherry on top will be hey, this is in a really good location. We put in a little bit more, more money by furnishing it and turn it into an Airbnb. But what I'm looking at for whenever I acquire property is can I grab a ton of equity? Can I be $0? Can I do a cash out on the refi and then still do an Airbnb, right? So it's not looking at, hey, let me find really great located houses on the MLS. You can still make money doing that because the Airbnb model works so well, but that's not what I do specifically. I, like I said previously, did a lot of wholesaling. So got really good at lead generation and finding those stressed properties and locating those motivated sellers. And I figure if I'm going to take down an asset, why not capture the equity if it's available, if, it, if those if those stress properties exist and they do. Another thing that I do is I like to serve underserved market. I don't have any Airbnbs in the primary markets like Austin or Dallas. They're, they're, they're great. You can do those and still make a lot of money, but I don't have to compete if I can Again, find something that's stressed, but the numbers work where there's a demand for occupancy. And I can get into, you know, I guess identifying how I can figure out if the property is going to stay occupied. If you want me to jump into that now, I will. But I guess staying on topic of your question, yeah, I'm going for those stressed houses. I'm, I'm looking for a drive-by because that still happens. I'm looking for anyone who finds themselves in a situation where their property has been noticed, right? Notice for non-payment of a mortgage, notice for non-payment of taxes, any type of those situations where public notice is surrounding the property where I can index those notices and then use my systems to go out and do outreach. Yeah. Awesome. Love it. So most of these deals that you're buying, you're capturing that equity, which gives you options, right? So Worst case scenario, if it's not working out to be the greatest Airbnb of all time, you could probably easily sell it. You could probably turn it into more of a long-term rental. It's like, as long as you're getting a good enough deal on the property, you've got options. And I think that's where I have, I've had a couple clients that I think have just been so gung-ho about getting their first Airbnb that, and they're, they're buying in the really dense parts of town. They're buying really expensive properties if the rents don't end up being exactly what they thought they were, they might be in trouble. Like there's a lot of, there's a lot of Airbnb owners that have probably been really feeling a little dicey over the last 90 days. If they overpaid for properties and were really banking on ultra high 
daily rates. So, I mean, it sounds like you're, you found a good strategy for making sure that the, the numbers are right on the, on the buy side. That's giving you a lot of options as far as pulling out equity, whatever you want to do, but at least you have options. Period. Right. All, all the, all the Airbnbs work as uh, standard 12 month rentals. Yeah. Uh, at a basis, but it's like, cool, that works. That's really great. And the, the ROI is really great because of the equity that I just captured because of the basis that which I got the property, but why don't I just three X the efforts? What I mean by that is I can make three times on the house that it would take me to go and find and fix and do all this stuff minus the equity capture, but from a cash flow perspective, yeah, three X that. Yeah. So yeah, it, if it didn't work as an Airbnb, it absolutely works as a 12, 12 month standard rental property. Everything, yeah. Absolutely. Like a, as a principle. Right. Right. And then I wanted to touch, I wanted to touch on one thing you said about <clears throat> finding Airbnbs in a really dense market. You can do it. Absolutely. But you really have to shine because there's a lot of impressive competition out there. Just jump on any of the OTAs or online travel agencies, uh, such as Airbnb or VRBO or booking.com to name a couple of the, the mainstream ones. And there is some just real gazers out there, some beautiful properties. So you can do that, but just know what you're competing against. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's great advice for sure. Walk me through a little bit about your process when you're just analyzing and validating the numbers. Okay. So yeah, I'll just, I have a worksheet, plug it all in. What I'm looking at is I plug in, you know, my, my cost of capital, what the repairs are going to be, how long I'm going to be in the stabilization period. And then I'm also plugging in my numbers on the back end when I refi, you know, because you always got to be considering the exit. What's what's the rate at right now? It's really important to pay attention to that right now because, you know, you could be cash flowing the property in a capacity that you feel very well meets your, your criteria where you call it a good deal. And then there could be a swing where the rates go up, which we've all have just experienced. You know, like, wow, I cannot believe how much that two point rate hike changes my spread each month. Wow. Yeah. I'm, I'm barely making a hundred bucks a month on this. I, I was supposed to be making 600 bucks a month. Yeah. Right. So pay attention to the, the rates and your exit financing. So I plugged that in as well. And then I'm just looking at my cash on cash and then my, my return, my ROI, my return on investment, yeah. uh, my return on leverage investment because I'm factoring in the leverage money. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sure you've, you've come across some really interesting moments just managing Airbnbs. So let's kind of talk through what are some key learnings you've had just kind of running in the Airbnb space. Have you, have you come across any doozies that you've had to just deal with incredibly complicated situations? What are some things that you do kind of running this as a business that kind of sets you up for success or just in general, let's talk about just the management side of things. Okay. So <clears throat> Anything that can go wrong will go wrong. <laughs> so just don't underestimate people. Like, yes, the TV needs to be plugged in to work. I'm sorry that I thought that was understood by all people. Yeah. But that's a serious situation. Like, it's it seems silly, but like those are the things that can come up. So just be prepared for that. In terms of managing all of the the needs of a of a daily or weekly guest, you know, what I found helpful was on the front end, being really clear about what to expect of the property, how to check in, where things are located, and just have it all available for them 
you might think, oh, well, that's obvious. I don't need to state that, but it's your house. You're going to know that instinctively. They're not. So you have to just really think even the most simple things that might seem silly to spell out, spell it all out, make it real clear. So when the guest checks in, they have all that information. What I do to, to set myself up for success so I'm not in the lead on dealing with that is through automation, right? So I'll, a guest will, will book and then they'll get an automated message with a bulk of what to expect. So they're reading through it versus letting them read through it when they check in because if you have them do it when they check in, all they're going to do is scroll through it and look for the, the, the passcode to get in. Right. So give them the bulk of the information when they book. And then and then the day that they check in the, to the hour that they are to check in, then it automated. I'll send another message with a sl smaller recap of what I've already told them and then the actual access codes to get in. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So that's just one component. I'm sorry. I can keep going on that. Or if you want to ask no, me. I'm, I'm assuming how much I know the, the rating system on Airbnb is a huge deal. So obviously the goal is to get as many five stars as you can become a super host. I'm, I'm guessing all of this helps you to achieve that. Absolutely. People do look at the ratings and then the ratings are also algorithmically adjust and affect how your property populates in search. Yeah. So you're going to want, so how do you, how, how do you make that happen? Well, if you feel like a guest is not having a pleasant experience, nine times out of 10, they're going to reach out to you in some way before they blindside you with a bad review because they know the effects of a review more than you might think. They know the value of them, right? So they're going to let you know if they're not liking something. If they're not liking something, I just recommend getting on the phone with them and just talking to them about what their issue is and then just personifying you yourself as opposed to leaving them with this idea that they're just at a property and it's faceless. There's no personality on the other end. They don't care what they said, right? Or they don't want to feel unheard. Even if you couldn't fix something, like as long as they felt heard and then you spoke to them, I mean, like, well, that was a really nice person. I don't want to say anything bad about that person. And I did yeah. listen to my needs, right? So those are ways to gear or direct those maybe less than five-star ratings to a five-star rating. Just talk to people and, and let them be heard. Yeah, because I get all the time or, you know, somebody's thinking about turning their primary into an Airbnb. If, if maybe they're trading up and buying a new home instead of selling their old one. Hey, maybe I'll turn it into an Airbnb. I get the sense that a lot of people feel like it's a very passive investment. And from what I've learned from a lot of people that I know that are running Airbnbs is that it's pretty hands-on, especially if you're self-managing. So in, in your experience, you've got to be, you got to be pretty on call when you've got a guest in your place, you got to be responsive. You got to be making sure you're, they're well taken care of. So I, I wanted to kind of talk through a little bit of the pros and cons of self-managing as compared to maybe hiring a management company and what can you expect or what should you be looking for in a management company that's going to run your airbnbs for you well if it's a management company that you don't know from adam then i would just look at their reviews like see what other hosts are saying about the management company right and if they're getting really good reviews then they are making sure that the guests are heard. They're not, they're not double booking, which they shouldn't be doing anyways, because there's technology out there that prevents from that. They are 
inspecting their turnover crews to make sure that the turnover crews aren't getting lazy or missing details because that can be a fact that the turnover crew might leave something unturned and then the guest has to experience that. Hey, why is there spaghetti on the wall in this bedroom? Right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> which, which by the way, happened. <laughs> oh, I can imagine. I'm sure, like you said before, if it can't happen, it probably has. It, it did uh, happen. And, and, you know, in those cases, you, you want to, you want to give them a discount. It's, it's not worth fighting with the guests. They experienced the, the spaghetti on the wall. Just give them the discount and move on. It's just one night. You know? Yeah. Yeah, I guess that's another factor, right? If your property manager is missing stuff and it's forcing you to give discounts, they're they're costing you money rather than help you make money. So I'm sure that's a big factor. How often, the, mm -hmm. you know? And then you ask, you also ask, do I self-manage or do I it just hire a management company? It just depends on your personal time. Yeah. Maybe you want to do it for a while to see what the expectation should be. And then you know what you're looking for. And then that makes you better at selecting the management company. Makes you better at interviewing them. Right. You you might already know all about it and say, I have no time. I trust the model. I want someone, I want to, I want to be totally hands off and hire me. Yeah. Yeah. No, that makes total sense. I mean, you know, for somebody that's you have a single family portfolio of of just kind of more long-term rentals and and you have Airbnbs. I've had rental properties before. I mean, when you have the long-term tenants you tend to hear from them a whole lot less, right? If you get a really good tenant, they're only bugging you when they really have something important that you got to deal with. Obviously, when you're dealing with Airbnbs and, and your average stay might only be two or three nights, you've got to be a lot more involved. And so if you're looking for something that's a little bit more passive, obviously you need to have a contingency plan if you're not prepared to be involved in the equation and being helpful because what you don't want to do is you don't want to end up getting bad reviews that are going to make it harder and harder to rent. And problems for you, right? I would assume. Right. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. If you if you listen to the feedback from your guests, like for example, in one of the tubs, it didn't have a grip gripping type surface. So the, the the guest was like, "Hey, tub's a little slippery. I recommend you putting some sort of grip tape. Yeah. Just do it right away because they're probably not the only person that feels that way. Right. Or you you hear guests say. Hey, is there a crib? Do you have a crib? That's a thing. One of the OTAs has a way where you can feature that you have a crib. Just buy a crib and you put it in the closet. So you start to answer these little questions and then you get less hands-on, right? right? And then if you, again, going back to the turnover piece, if you're dealing, if you're checking in with your turnover crew and you have checklists for them, you make sure they're thinking of everything and they know that you check in with them from time to time then that's a better use of time than it is to reactively answer questions because of maybe a shortcoming with a desk. And again, then it affects the experience. You want them to have a hotel-like experience. Right. Airbnbs are funny because it's like it's like a parlay into the hotel the hotel world. You're providing an experience, right? So you it's a, it's a little bit more white art. Absolutely. Hey guys, if you're out there listening, just a reminder, feel free. If you're live streaming, you can chat in. We're going to do a live Q&A here at the end. So if you guys have any questions for Kyle on the way, post them in there. We'll talk through it towards the end. I really wanted to talk about the financing portion of Airbnbs. And what I think is really a huge value add for you, Kyle, is that not only do you find, acquire, manage, 
do all this stuff. You also are working with a company that handles the financing portion of purchasing Airbnbs. And, and why it's so important to be working with a guy like Kyle, let's say I'm a novice, or let's say I've been, I've been really successful at doing flips. I'm looking to diversify my portfolio. I want to get into more rentals. I'm curious about Airbnb. I've got a deal. I don't know, is this a good deal? Am I in over my head? What should I be doing? So to have a guy like Kyle who can walk you through, help you analyze that deal, make sure you're getting the right financing for it, making sure the numbers work on it. I mean, it's it's absolutely invaluable. So let's talk a little bit about, you know, what it takes to to finance an Airbnb. Yeah, absolutely. So so I work with Freedom Home Loans. I do business development with them. I'm a licensed mortgage mortgage loan originator, so we can do the conventional loans as well. But since we're talking about Airbnbs, we're focused on the DSER loan product, which stands for debt service coverage ratio. So what we're looking at is a the asset itself is the asset in essence covering its own debt service and then some at a 1.25 ratio or greater, right? So we're getting into some of the, the the, the criteria of the loan product itself, but essentially there is permanent financing available for Airbnbs and that's amortized, a 30-year amortized, just like conventional, but with competitive rates to conventional. And the the underwriting process, uh, it, it, it's a lot easier and, it's, and there's less hurdles and hoops to jump through than your conventional financing where it's looking at your own personal income. The right. DSDR loan product is looking at is the product, is the asset itself producing income to, to sustain the debt service and then some, a delta. And that's that's a lot more simple than, than looking at your entire bankability. Got it. Got it. So let's say, let's go through a couple scenarios that could, could happen here. So for example, let's say, let's say somebody bought a flip and they used hard money. Turning out the flip's not working out like they wanted to. Maybe the numbers look better as being, a, you know, a an Airbnb property. Is that a situation to where they would refi into a product that you have, or is it better to? That would be kind of like more an, an, an escape option from a bad deal or a bad flip, as opposed to going in and knowing I'm going to acquire this property. It's going to be an Airbnb. I know that. I'm starting this kind of financing from the jump. Are you working both of those scenarios or both of those options? Well, in, in the scenario that you just gave, if the flip example ended up being a, a slam dunk as an Airbnb, yeah, you, you know, you you need to refi out of that because chances are you're in a construction loan, which is going to balloon in the 12 months. Same with hard money, you're it's going to balloon. Like it's it's their only it's its only purpose is for you to stabilize the assets, not permanent financing. So yes, you're going to refinance and you might even have a, have a small cash out there depending on how much cash that you had in and, and do a little bit of an equity play and then carry it as a yield and, and really capitalize on the Airbnb model, right? Again, depending on, you know, if, if it becomes a slam dunk as an Airbnb. Sure. It's better to know what the exit's going to be on the front end. Nobody wants to be midstream and say, oh, wow, I can't sell this. What do I do? Yeah. It's not a good experience, I would say. It's it, it, it's definitely not going to be, I would call, prudent investing. Just always, even if you jump into a flip, and this is what I do myself, I'm looking at all the exits. 
so I know preemptively what the next thing could be if something happens, black swan event, right? The market shifts, the, the rates go way up, people can't afford as much of a house anymore. So so and the, the house prices are plateauing or going down. And you're like, wow, I really needed to make, you know, I had this windfall in mind of what it needed to be, but I don't accept that. But I think that I'll be able to make that back over time. Let me let me hold it for yield as an Airbnb. Yeah. Got it. Makes total sense. So let's let's talk about the mechanics of it. So if I if I want to go buy an Airbnb, I think I found a decent property. I say, Kyle, I need to buy this. I wanna I wanna work with you on doing the loan. What do I need down? What do I need to have ready? Let's just talk about all of the mechanics of what it takes to get the deal done. Well, if you're if you've got the property pretty well analyzed, and then we can jump into <clears throat> you know the, the value of the property, and that's the refi based off the back end appraisal. How much you would need to bring to the table? It's all based on that, by the way. Okay. Right? So so you've got your front side appraisal for whatever financing that you put in place to 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 invest to I'm sorry to improve the property, and then you got your backside appraisal. For your refinance each loan has its own appraisal and then you're going to be the loan is going to be based off of that and just depending on how much equity you capture you could put equity down towards the down payment and then you would have to gap the difference if you didn't have the full down payment typically it's 75 percent loan to value so okay. if you can grab that 25 percent down out of the equity captured great it, it, you could even roll most of the closing costs into that too but if Again, if they're if you already do half of that, you're coming to the table with half of of that down payment, and the other part is being contributed from the equity that you just captured, which is a really it's it's really exciting for me to 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 be able to go after a stressed property for that reason to capture that equity, right? Because then it makes the total deal a screamer because you're you're using leverage, you're not actual cash, you're less actual cash out of pocket, so your cash on cash becomes you know, multiply. And then there's a bit of an underwriting of yourself and you got to have a decent enough credit score. I'd have to actually look back to see the exact minimum of the credit score that you'd have to have, but there's that and submit our, an application. And then we just kind of work through a bit of some experience too. And then we'll give you the rates and look at the the, the final numbers of what the bond product and the monthly payments will be in the back end. Awesome. Cool. Well, I see we've got a couple questions in. I appreciate everybody chatting in. I think this is a perfect time before we hit up some questions. So if somebody wants to get a hold of you, Kyle, what's the best way to get a hold of you? You can go to my email, Kyle at freedomhl.com and I'll get back to you. Awesome. We're going to post that in the chat as well. So everybody can get it. If, if for some reason you didn't catch any of that, feel free to reach out to us. We're happy to get you connected with Kyle. And so we should see that in the chat now. All right. You ready to roll into some questions, Kyle? Sure. Okay. Let's do it. So first one from Alexa. Kyle or Aaron, who do you use for your lead services for motivated leads in Texas? So I, it's a, it's like a funnel situation. I've got all different kinds of lists. And then I'll even peruse the notices direct in whatever county that I'm working because sometimes there's a latency. Everyone's buying lists, but those lists have to get their information from a source. Right. So how long does it take them to get the information from that source, curate it, turn it into 
a sellable product and then they're selling. So sometimes they go to the source direct, right? But, you know, let's see, PropStream is a place where you can kind of look at MLS data, but they also will, will sell you lists. There's Roddy Report. Yeah. They're Texas-based. They've been around forever. They've been around since the, since before um, accessing lists digitally online was a thing. They would mail them to you. Like they would mail little like paper booklets. They were like, I want to say OG in the space. Yeah, I actually know Aaron who owns the Roddy list. He's been a customer of ours for a really long time. We've sold a ton of houses for him. He's an awesome follow. His last name is a little bit hard. I think I've got it down now. It's Aaron Amishastegi. Don't ask me how to spell it. But anyway, if you just Google Roddy list, they're really good. They're down. You'll you'll see them posted up. If you've ever been to a foreclosure auction, you'll they're see always them. there. We've got all the lists. So those guys are really great. We had Mike Singletary on this podcast before. He owns a company called Skip Force. So some of these lists are just going to be names or addresses. And then you've got to do your own searching for phone numbers and emails and things like that. So Mike's company, Skip Force, does a really good job of getting that information. He's a, he's a marketing wizard as well. So I, I recommend listening to that podcast if you're looking for a way to get people's contact information and then figure out how to use it. So yeah, I mean, you rattled off a lot of really good options. I, I think the main thing is just taking it's, action, right? Just- Yeah, it is. Yeah, it. I was gonna say, you've got you've got TLO, TransUnion, like, you know TransUnion has the right information. Right. Like they provide a list as well, it's called TLO, which is what they own. And then there's Batch Skip, where you can, they can provide lists and then they also trace those lists and you can get phone numbers too and you can call the people and yep. but I'll I'll second what Aaron just said. You guys you just have to take action. Just know I want to set some expectations for you. If you're cold calling people or cold texting people, just know they're gonna be not they're not gonna be nice because everyone is doing that. But then you get someone who will talk to you and maybe all you need is one. So I've always kind of, my main role here at Listing Spark, aside from just being the broker, has always been focusing way more on the sales side. So luckily myself and my co-founder and, and partner kind of have completely a set of, you know, different set of skills, divergent skills. So he's much more better at being incredibly organized, more operationally savvy. I'm not great at all that stuff, but I'm pretty good at talking and talking to people and writing scripts and setting up systems and things like that. And so, you know, the one thing that we always just tell our sales team is, you know, once that phone hangs up, no matter how nice or how mean that person is, you will never interface with that person for one more second for as long as you are walking the face of this earth, right? And so I think so many people carry a bad phone call with them for the rest of the oh, day. Yeah. It's crazy. You just got to forget about it. I mean, yeah, you got to <laughs> find the humor in it. Really? Yeah. You have to find the humor in it, especially if they're really creative. Oh, yeah. oh it's hysterical. I mean, it's hysterical. We've heard it all. We, we have, we, we, we've heard it all and you just got to let it go. Just move on to the next one. I mean, some of these lists you're going to get are massive. I mean, so you can't sit there and dwell on a bad call. Just move on to the next one. There's an endless supply of opportunities. You just got to take action and do it. But, so. you, but you can also, in the back of your mind, if you want, be thankful for the no. Say thank you for your no, because by a rule of odds, you get so many no's before you get a yes. So a no is actually a step to a yes. So just be thankful for the no, because it's part of getting the yes. 100%. Totally agree. All right, we got another good question here. Do you have any technology systems to help manage your Airbnbs? 
Yes. <laughs> I use, there's a bunch of them. The one that I use is a German channel manager called Smubu. It's not German, it's just founded in Germany. They're out of Germany. Yeah, it's S M O O P U dot com, their channel manager. Okay. And essentially, what that is, is if you're on a myriad of OTAs, <clears throat> online travel agencies, such as Airbnb or VRBO, you're going to find yourself in the weeds if you're trying to be on all those platforms and also get a booking on one and walk out on the other calendars on others, right? Because yeah. double bookings can be a thing. So a channel manager is something that will walk out the other calendars as soon as a booking happens. Channel managers can also do your automated replies. I don't love the, the UX UI, which is kind of like how it looks. Totally, they're a good thing for the buck. The pricing is really good. And they, I am able to accomplish the task through them. As I get more Airbnbs, I'll justify going to a more pricier channel manager with, with the scale, on him as a scale. But between then and now, Smoobu might fix their, their UX UI and be more desirable in functionality in terms of you know, how it flows, you know, even on a handheld device, how it flows and looks and some colors and fonts, then I might stay around. So we'll see how that goes. But yeah, just, just get yourself familiarized with the channel manager. And then of course the OTAs, you already know what they are, Airbnb, VRBO, booking.com. And then there's some of the other channel managers, but those are going to be more geared towards they just want to manage your house entirely. So they're a management and and OTA. Got it. Kind of think of a good example of one. But they'll come to All right. Smoobu. Why, why do always why do the best companies always have the wildest names? Never never fails. Okay. We got from Michael, where can we get DSCR loans? You can get DSCR loans by emailing me at Kyle at freedomhl.com, Freedom Home Loans. Happy to talk to you about your situation, about if you have a property currently, or if you're trying to set yourself up to acquire property and be prepared for the back end permanent financing for for yield fees. So just shoot me an email and we'll just get into whatever your situation is. Awesome, awesome. Okay, we got one more question here. We might have a few more pop in, but are all your Airbnbs in the same area, or do you have them nationally? Sorry if I missed that part in the beginning. Yeah, so I have one in Texas, I've got one in Florida, and then I'm looking at managing two in San Antonio, and I've got a 12-month rental that I'm turning into an Airbnb and midterm. I said Airbnb, I should call it an SCR because that's the proper term. Short-term rental and midterm. Got it. So got midterm, it. midterm rental is just like short-term rental, except you kind of market towards the travel and there's the the occupationalist is traveling for a job and they stay, they stay for a month or two. They yeah. rent a fully furnished by the month. Got it. So. Got it. So what are some of the challenges that you're, you're dealing with having, having houses that are not geographically close to each other? If I hire really good turnover staff, then I don't have an issue. And if yeah. I have a local handyman who's really great, I don't have an issue. Yeah. Right. Because it, it all comes down to those people. 
they're going to be doing the op operationally. They're going to be cleaning. They're going to be fixing. If you have an issue, just have an Amy man you've got a relationship with. It's just going to go in there and fix that towel wrap. Or the turnover person, if you enter, if you hired well, then they're, you're not going to have any issues because they're going to reset the house. And it's important to have a good turnover staff because they're going to be able to identify any damage. And if, and if they don't, then the damage is there between multiple guests. You don't know how to put it on, so you have to eat it. Yeah. Now, if they damage it and your turnover crew catches it, then, then you're able to, to recoup those. Another thing, back to the technology question, and I'm sorry, I didn't think about this earlier, is turnover BNB is another word that I use. And what that essentially does is allows me to link all of my calendars to my turnover crew. And my turnover crew, there's the way that they set it up was there's a post spacing app, UX UI, and then there's a, tur a turnover uh, facing app, two different apps. And the turnover facing app, all they see is they're allowed to clean whatever property that you set them to. And then whenever a project comes up, It'll pop up, they get an overfish, and then they can accept it right away. So you're not having to say, oh, hey, turnover person one, I need you to clean on Tuesday and Thursday and, you know, the, sec the second and the fifth, are you available? Uh, it's, it's an app, you know, it's technology. Just let yep. them see the calendar and let them accept the job. And another cool thing about it is there's checklist. The checklist is only going to be as strong as you make it. Really detailed and, and, and help them be successful, and then that way they can go through everything and just check as they're checking. Well, they're going, oh, you know, and get the checklist done. And another cool thing is, yeah, they're able to send start over issues. It'll tell you when the issue is down on what project or or booking, and then you can go back and fix the project and also have a photo record of that. So whenever you need to make any type of claims with no then you can have the photo evidence for the claim as well. If you've got a guest that's like wanting to think that they didn't create an issue, which a lot of the times they're they're telling you they're upfront about it. Or yeah. sometimes they're like, oh, I didn't know that, you know, and they're they're not gonna create waves typically. Yeah. So, Great advice. Oh, one more thing, turnover BNB. I I like them so much that I reached out to the, the the founder on LinkedIn and sent him some messages and he got back right away. He was super awesome. So I'm like even more excited about nice. them. So yeah. if I say, hey, turnover BNB, I love what you're doing. I'm looking at maybe another channel manager, but you're not, you don't have an API, you're not talking to them. Like I feel confident that they're going to be open to the conversation and they're going to do it. It's one right. of those technology companies that's adjusting to their client base. So I wanted to give them another little, like, good note because I love it whenever you can actually talk to a real owner or somebody in charge of a company because you're you're giving them business. You're using their software. You're the best beta tester there. Sure, sure. Man, I can't believe it. It's already almost been 45 minutes. We got one more question. This is a good one. How long does it take to process the DSCR loans? Well, it depends on how fast you are getting us information. Yeah. So you, you can do a clear and close. I would say to set realistic expectations, 
from the moment that you're engaging in on an application to closing with the doing 30 days. I mean, if it's a scenario where you're in trouble or we already have to get out of it, it's the hard money lenders, we have a bad relationship, they don't want to extend. Yeah. We could probably do it faster. I, I don't know, does that answer the question? I did I a clear, we did a clear to close on a conventional loan. It was a jumbo, it was a $1.2 million loan, clear to close in six days. Wow. But, you know, it's just a pen, the borrowers were just really smart and on top of it, like on yeah. top of getting the information. Yeah. And also it was a situation where the seller was like, hey, this has to happen for the new year, whatever. So it was all hands on deck. Yeah, I mean, I, I always recommend in any deal you're doing, urgency is important. You know, I think lenders need to get information. As long as they're waiting on you to get information, it's going to slow down the process. So the wild, the wild card there is the appraisal piece too, because yeah. that's the, it's a third party. You know right. I mean? So yep. I just wanted to set that expectation. Yep. Awesome. Kyle, this was great. It was, I, I had high hopes and, and high expectations and you delivered my friend. I appreciate you joining us. Everyone, thanks for thanks for hanging in there with us. If you want to get a hold of Kyle, Kyle at freedomhl.com. Kyle is also all over the interwebs. I'm sure you can find him on, you know, LinkedIn, probably Instagram, whatever, but track him okay. down. He's a good guy to know, very well versed in a lot of different facets of the real estate investing world. And so just a just a good guy to include in your network, period. So Kyle, thanks, man. Yes, sir. Thank you. Guys, tune in next time. We usually go live Wednesdays at one o'clock. Thanks again for joining us and we're going to sign off. Thanks. Thanks for listening to this episode of Real Estate Real Fast. If you're a homeowner or real estate investor, you should go check us out at listingspark.com. You can find tips for improving and selling your house, comparing properties, listing your home on the MLS, and even sign up for the live show of Real Estate Real Fast. We typically go live on Wednesdays at 1 p.m. Central. Go check us out at listingspark.com.